really difficult. If I disagree slightly with Andrea, it's that I'm afraid that history shows with treaty making that building a treaty may be long, but because it tends to involve goodwill and a desire to make progress towards a goal, it's probably rather easier than dismantling parts of a treaty, which I'm afraid is what we are attempting to do. And we're doing it because there are aspects of our treaty obligations to the EU, which in the referendum, it was made clear people don't want. The difficulty any sensible government has is that because it has a responsibility to try to look after the well-being of its citizens, it tends, unless it's a Stalinist government or it's King Jong-un, to be wary of taking risk. It wants to minimise risk because risk causes disruption. And disruption brings with it unpredictable consequences which you can't necessarily factor through. And while it's certainly totally impossible to say whether we'll be better off in or out in 30 years' time, I think we can all agree, I suspect, that the short to medium term disentanglement carries with it substantial risks because there will be rapid change as the United Kingdom adjusts to it. And just to give one example, the British Banking Association explained to me that their own reckoning is at the moment the UK does 70% of the banking funding of all EU business bank lending. It's a very high figure. Their estimate is that post-Brexit that will reduce to around 40% at most. Now, that may not matter. I mean, if the economy is expanding in other areas and if actually banking is expanding generally across Europe, it may actually be that the UK banks will be very happily off in 15 years' time. I don't know. But it is a sudden and profound shift. And that is really the reason why at the moment, I feel, we are to an extent for all and I must stress this, the good intentions set out in both the Lancaster House speech and the Florence speech, all of which I can subscribe to, because if we can achieve that, we will be doing very well. But that's the reason why we are mired in a high level of uncertainty, and also, I'm afraid, why we are having problems with our EU partners. Because for them, the UK departure carries risk. And therefore, they're going to approach it. You can't start a negotiation unless you start looking at the negotiation from the point of view of the person you're negotiating with. And although, actually, an ultimate outcome of the United Kingdom leaving the EU but being able to keep the closest possible trading relationship for both goods and financial services is one which, in my judgment, is likely to be greatly to the advantage of our EU partners and ourselves, unfortunately, getting to it is extremely problematical. And all I will say is, coming from, again, slightly lawyer's point of view on negotiating, is that the more ideological hurdles you put in the way for achieving a final agreement rather than confronting it on a case-by-case -case basis, the more difficult you are going to find it to achieve an outcome. And I say that looking at it and seeing that this problem is occurring on both sides. 
I am very critical, for example, of the EU putting solving the Northern Ireland Republic of Ireland border problem as a separate issue from the long-term trading relationship, because it's blindingly obvious that you cannot separate the two out. If indeed we are going to leave the EU without a trading relationship, then whatever people may say in the United Kingdom and the Republic of Ireland, the truth is we will have a hard border. Maybe an impossible border to operate, but that is where we are going to end up, because there isn't actually any other alternative. This highlights, I'm afraid, at times a sort of double mindset which seems to come in from both sides, which I think prevents us from making progress. But equally, I have to say, looking at trying to achieve a sensible outcome, some of the positions which we seem at times to adopt uh, in uh, our own party seem to me to make outcomes rather more difficult. I mean, I'm no great lover of the European Court of Justice. I've appeared in front of it. I don't necessarily find it the world's best court. But actually, by world standards, it's not a pariah court it's rather a good technical court. The reality is, is that at some point in this system, firstly, it's clear we're going to need a transitional arrangement, and I think lots of people are coming round to that, because we can't do the disentanglement in two years. And I strongly have the view that the idea that we're going to find that we can escape the influence of the European Court of Justice during the transitional period is, I'm afraid, I think, pie in the sky because there is no alternative mechanism to police what is going to continue to be a very close working relationship until we've resolved all its details. So, as I say, my, my analysis is that the current difficulties we have, and I'm really pleading the majority of the British electorate, having all sorts of issues with the EU, many of which I have no difficulty sharing, are going to be best pleased if UK government takes risks which then start to have a clear and adverse impact on their well-being. I just don't think we will be thanked for that as a party or a government. And I have to say, I think the only person who will benefit from it is Jeremy <laughs> Corbyn, who is completely two-faced on this issue, uh, and will simply, like any good opposition leader, seek to exploit it. So the risks for us are also at a domestic level if we do not approach this in a sensible fashion. Just a word about the withdrawal Briefly, bill. Briefly, because you The withdrawal bill actually has very little to do with the wider discussion we've had this evening. The withdrawal bill is about process. The withdrawal bill, or the anxieties I have about the withdrawal bill, are about not throwing out our own constitution in order to achieve Brexit. It seems to be a very odd way of achieving freedom by actually taking our freedoms and saying we're going to chuck them in the bin in order to get there. I'm not prepared to see Parliament marginalised in a process which inevitably is going to see more power being given to the state to carry this out than has ever happened in previous British history. There has to be a scrutiny and control mechanism for doing that. Even, I think, Jacob Rees-Mogg at one stage, I detected when I explained this in Parliament, seemed actually to be quite, not surprisingly, sympathetic to what I was saying on this. But those are process issues. Don't worry about They are about process, but they're about our processes, and we've got to get those right as well. But that also highlights, to me, the enormous consequences of Brexit. I pride myself with being a Conservative because I believe in evolutionary politics. But I can't escape the fact that what has actually been determined last year is a revolution. 
The question is, can we carry out a revolution without victims? And that is the key issue which any responsible government has to keep in mind. Thank you. Can we carry out a revolution without victims? That's a very good conclusion to our panel discussion. But now we have time for questions and comments. A lot of, let's take several from around the room, because, uh, and then I'll come back to our panellists at the end so we can squeeze in as many as possible. Firstly, I see Sundakat Bola there uh, near the front, and then we'll move, move around. Uh, thank, thanks, Charles. Sundakat Bola from British Future. Immigration is going to be important in these um, negotiations. The first issue is citizens' rights, and we all hope we'll be very close to a deal. I wonder if the panel think that if we have got a deal this autumn, we'll be able to say that deal is certain, rather than saying nothing's settled till everything's settled, see if we agree all the other issues by 2019, which wouldn't give people a certainty. Is there a way to do that? And then the bigger question on immigration later is if Britain doesn't want European free movement but does want a close relationship, does making an offer of a system that is more open to Europeans but isn't free movement, does that help on the trade side, or is that just a muddled issue that the Europeans won't respond okay, to? Could you pass the mic to George Eason from the New Statesman? And um, the New Edict is only one question per person, and they've got to be very short so we can squeeze lots in. George. Andrea, you said that Britain won't just leave the EU in 2019, but take back control of its money, its borders, and its laws. But of course, under the current transition plan, that won't happen. Free movement will continue in all but name. Budget contributions will continue for at least two years and ECJ rulings will still apply. I know that the concept of collective responsibility is a rather flexible one in today's cabinet, but in view of all that, if the transition proceeds as planned, can you remain in the cabinet? Okay, uh, the, la the lady with glasses uh, halfway towards the back, um, and then the gentleman next to her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we'll come on to the other side of the room later. Hello, uh, Maya Roberts from Kingfisher, that's B&Q in the UK, and Castorama in Poland. Um, do you think that the business community is currently doing enough to help you make Brexit a success? And if not, what more can we do? Right, the gentleman next to you. Uh, I was very reassured to hear a member of the government say that we would actually be leaving in March 2019, because... <laughs> like the gentleman over there from the New Statesman, when I hear about this in the press... It seems that rather than being a genuine transition, what we're talking about is staying in the EU in all but name for at least another two years. And if I may just continue for a moment longer, I live near a small northern town, Goul, uh, which voted about 75% to leave the EU. I know that because I was at the count. And I can tell you the reason that the working class voters of Goul voted to leave the EU is very simple. They wanted immigration controlled and dramatically reduced because they've seen overwhelming levels of immigration in the last 20 years. Okay. Could you come to the question, please? The point is this. I believe it would be totally unacceptable to the majority of Leave voters if freedom of movement continues for another two years and a disaster for the Conservative Party at the next election. Thank you. There's a gentleman behind you um, towards the back, somebody at the back. Yes, the gentleman pointing to himself, and then we'll come on to the other side. 